Welcome to Is It Bedtime Yet? The podcast for parents about mental health and the experience of being a parent. The podcast that discusses what it's like to be adults raising tiny humans that make us all ask, is it bedtime yet? I'm Dr. Serene Boyajian. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist in Los Angeles, California, and I have two little boys ages three and five. And I'm Dr. Jen Samstag, licensed clinical psychologist in Los Angeles, California, and I have a daughter who is almost two years old. And today's topic is about relationships with in-laws. And we have a special guest with us today. We do. We have Dr. Aline Tanyelian. Hi, guys. How are you? Hi, good. How are you? So happy to be back. Yeah. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself, Dr. Yeah, Aline? Yeah, um, Dr. Aline Tanillion. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist in Los Angeles, California. I have a private practice there. And I'm excited to talk about in-laws today and talk about all the, the nitty-gritty stuff that goes into it. I mean, we're thinking that this is probably a topic that a lot of people can relate to because in-law relationships can be pretty complicated. What do you guys think? Absolutely. Agreed. Yeah. It's complex and multi-layered. For sure. And there's also a cultural component to it, too, that we'll get into later. Um, Different cultures have totally different experiences when it comes to how they relate to their in-laws. Most definitely. And just to dive into it, Mm -hmm. we thought this was kind of a significant topic because reading up on some studies, we found that three out of four couples experience significant conflict with their in-laws. That's huge. That's like 75% of people. Right. And... um, So there's this psychologist, where is she from? From Cambridge University, Terry Apter, and she wrote this book called What Do You Want From Me? And in her book, she talks about how 60% of women don't get along with their mother-in-laws versus just 15% of men. Yeah, that's a huge discrepancy. That is a huge discrepancy. It is. There's definitely a gender issue with all of that. And I think it speaks to also relationships that sons and daughters have with their own parents, which influences then the mother-in-law relationship with the spouses. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. In fact, one of the top issues that couples actually do fight about is their in-laws. The other three being um, sex, finances, and children. Mm. That list totally makes sense. Absolutely. So what do you guys think are some of the things couples fight about or in-laws get in the way of, you know, creating this kind of uncomfortable relationship? Oh my gosh. Where does the list begin? Yeah, right. <laughs> Somebody has to start it. Well, I'd say, I mean, since we're, um, you know, uh, a podcast about, you know, being moms, like children is a big issue with um, and, and raising kids and, mm-hmm. and how to parent them. And in-laws definitely have a big um, voice or sometimes lack thereof, mm-hmm. even that makes a big difference um, in how to or how not to raise or have even have children even. And that that's a major one that comes up. Definitely. And I imagine the part of the struggle is that particularly because we're talking about in-laws and not our own parents, is that when it comes to your own parents, you know, becoming grandparents, you know who your parents are. You've been raised by them. You know what right. their parenting style may or may not be. You might be comfortable telling them to back off or that you don't want, you don't agree with what they are telling you to do. And I imagine that part of what makes the in-law relationship different is that you, you know, may not have known these people for that long, or you may not be as comfortable talking to them about these kinds of things or telling them no if they try to overstep a boundary. And also, it almost seems like there might be like a little hierarchy in the family, mm-hmm. um, you know, the parents yeah. being because you're still their child. I'm, right. you know, I'm still my parents' child or your. So there's that hierarchy because these people are your spouse's parents and you can't really overstep certain 
boundaries or overstep certain, you know, conversational styles. Or you can't tell them, like, hey, back off. It might be more comfortable to do that with your own parents, whereas it it almost seems like the power is more in the court of your in-laws. And, you know, I'm sure husbands feel vice versa. Yeah. Um, They're trying to be respectful to respect you and to respect your the elders in the family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I bet that causes a lot of uh, strife in a lot of different families because uh, let's let's talk about like the wife, for example, or the woman might be relying on her husband or her partner, whoever right. it is, to stand up to his own parents, and she might be expecting him. And you know, I'm using a a, a hetero couple just for the sake of you know discussion, right? Discussion. But let's say she's expecting her husband to stand up to his own parents if there's a disagreement about something, but on the flip side, he might not want to stand up to them, and that could create conflict within the relationship, uh, right. the marital relationship. Which breeds resentment and makes it even more difficult to be a couple and to parent, but then we're talking really about boundaries. And so what ends up happening is not only are your boundaries being tested with your in-laws, but then you're almost reestablishing and reiterating, redefining boundaries with your spouse as well. Well, what about unsolicited advice? Unsolicited advice oh, about raising your children. Right. And well, it ta- kind of falls into this mm-hmm. because, mm-hmm. you know, what do you do when your in-laws have their own way of raising children and they have their own ideas of discipline or, you know, routine or whatever it may yeah. be? Well, and we've talked about unsolicited advice before on this podcast, but I think it definitely takes on a whole new level and... um complexity when it's your parents or your spouse's parents and I think it being your spouse's parents is even more difficult and challenging I just want to back up a little bit because I really like that you use that word complexity because I was struggling earlier and I was like there's a power (laughs) differential there's a hierarchy and yeah and I didn't you know I didn't really know how to like pinpoint it or how to put my finger on it and that's exactly it it's a complex it's a super complex relationship it is yes uh, that's the umbrella term, I think. And yeah. like everything you named is the stuff that goes underneath it. So yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Well, and I think even if you have a positive relationship with your in-laws, it's still complex. I mean, that's a great point that you brought up, too, because oftentimes when we talk about in-laws and people roll their eyes or give the huff and puff right. you know, because they're having a difficult time um, because maybe their in-laws are difficult or giving them a hard time or something is a negative experience. But it goes the other way, too, when you also have a, a, a positive relationship or where there's maybe an outpouring of love or an outpouring of care and sometimes that also means that boundaries are being crossed too and that could be overwhelming as well so it's not just the negative um uh, i guess interpersonal relationship but also some of the positivity that may be overwhelming as well and it's more of about the feeling of the lack of control and your boundaries being um pressed or maybe even sometimes violated that makes it an issue so good or bad Weren't we reading an advice column earlier where uh, we were all reading an advice column yeah, earlier yeah. where um, a daughter-in-law wrote in asking for advice because uh-huh. her mother-in-law was just too nice cooking them dinner every <laughs> right. night and right. just going out of her way to make their life easier. And Serene's but. response was, well, you're complaining about this? <laughs> right, I mean, right. I wish I had somebody cooking for me five nights right. or seven nights a week. Yeah, I mean, right. that would be but amazing. It, but it's hard to remember if that's not you that right. it could definitely be, and, and Aline, I'm so glad yeah. that you brought this up because it could definitely be 
a negative experience uh, simply in the fact that it's such a it could be such a boundary overstep or yeah, violation it absolutely like, is. what if i wanted to cook dinner for my family right and now i'm eating my in-laws food and i can't say no to that you know yeah. or um i have a difficult time because it's such a nice gesture but it's still something that maybe i don't want right. you know so yes. people go through that as well it's more about kind of realizing what your desires and your needs are for your family structure and how other people kind of can impinge on that in in good and bad ways and i I, you know the nice gesture how do you go about setting boundaries when somebody is trying to go out of their way to give you more comfort to help you and they're not recognizing that they're crossing a boundary and for you to actually process that process it yourself because you're going to experience some guilt Thinking like, wow, I'm. I feel like I'm being a little ungrateful because they're doing all this for exactly. me. But I need to tell them to stop. Yeah. So that's a struggle one might face internally. Yep. And how do you really deal with that? Because you're going to be the bad guy. Like, how do you tell somebody stop being so nice to me? You know, right. how, do you, how does that even happen? <laughs> yeah, right. But yeah, I need you to stop cleaning my house. <laughs> <laughs> Said no one ever. Yeah, right. <laughs> so it, it it's it's important to look at it in that way too because yeah there is probably the guilt and the and all of that like feeling of ungratefulness that you mentioned that might come with even the positivity and how to then voice your own desires and needs and um you know your boundaries and your way of life for you your spouse and your family so um either way i think it's tough What's another thing that might drive a wedge in a relationship with in-laws? Finances is a big one. I'm glad you said that because that was where I was going to go too. Yeah, I think finances are a big piece of any relationship, whether it be a romantic relationship, a parent-child relationship. Um, And so I imagine that it's no different in an in-law relationship. Absolutely. I think that when, um, even as we talk about money just in our, like, very western culture you know it has a big influence and in even friendships and like how, like how people spend their time and money and all of that and then now bring in like the family dynamics and how money should be used or is used or typically used or what's the norm or what's expected and right. there's all of these complex and complicated love that right. we keep using that word yeah. but it's the truth of what happens to it and there's so many things that are also unspoken unspoken rules and um things that are just sort of supposedly understood oh that's such a good point and 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 money is is kind of one of those things you know which is really difficult because it's something that's you really have to deal with in your face but it's often not talked about too right i think that's what makes it so complicated is that money is such a taboo conversational topic and for it to be taboo and people not wanting to talk about it it's something that needs to be talked about so there's this end of like if you marry into a family that or a, a culture that really pays attention to the appearance or how things look or how you should look. It's almost like um, it might come off as embarrassing to them or like a, a bad reflection of them if right. their new bride or their, you know, the mother of their grandkids isn't presentable in a certain way. Mm-hmm. Well, and then there's the other spectrum of it where, you know, your mother-in-law might be breathing down your neck because, mm-hmm. you know, you want to buy a house or you want to buy a car or you want to just have like spending habits that they probably d- don't have maybe mm-hmm. they've they believe in leasing cars maybe they believe in renting and they have this other right. relationship with money and how it's spent and that could also cause a rift or you know yeah how do you adjust to that mm-hmm. as the person coming into the family and how do you how does your spouse adjust to 
your way of thinking about money or your family's way of thinking about money and make it all okay with both sets of in-laws. Right. Yeah. And I think um, some of the practical um, solutions for some of those things is oftentimes um, we talk about being patient and it's a real thing. You have to be patient in this process Mm -hmm. because it really is a big deal for a bunch of people to try and really learn each other. Um, But also wanting to have a successful family and healthy family Mm -hmm. life. Um, And it it takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of trial and error. Mm -hmm. Um, So patience is the first, uh, I think, practical tool for that. So really just kind of pat yourself on the back, you know, know that it's a a lot of hard work. It's going to take some time. Um, it's going to take a lot of adjusting and really the focus of being on like creating family love here and crew and co- like a cohesiveness. Mm-hmm. Um, I think another uh, important tool is to um, talk about these things and really needs discussion because without discussion it breeds resentment. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's I think where the emotion um, turns everything into um, spoiled goods, you know right. And so yeah. you really want to be able to talk about the emotion, um, and, and not have it like breathe and kind of fester right, right. over like, Definitely. you know, but, and, and, and kind of get that out the way because discussion can really lead to a lot of solutions. Um, and with talking about it, ta- the other, the third thing that I'll say is do it early, mm-hmm. do it as soon as possible, because the more that we hold on to these things, the harder it gets. We know that we know that when, once we build a habit in something, it's so much harder to break. Right. It's kind of the same idea because if we don't talk about it, we often uh, it's almost like an unspoken allowance for it, you know. Mm-hmm. So if you if you don't find a way to bring it up or to, um, you know, in some ways express yourself um, with your spouse, with your in-laws or whatever, I think that it makes it harder than to create the type of structure that you want for your family. Right. And just to add to that, one thing I think is pretty important is to be a united front like a united team with your spouse and I think before the conversation gets to the in-laws I think um the the partners need to sit down and have many 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 conversations where they try to understand each other and where where you know not to get too clinical but where all these like thoughts and schemas and ideas are coming Mm -hmm. from and to understand you're not going to wake up one day and think, okay, well, this is how I'm going to live my life and raise my children. They're passed down to you through your experiences with your own family. So to actually have conversations with your spouse and to understand where the other is coming from and to kind of decide, okay, well, this is how your family did things. This is how my family did things. But how is our family going to do things? Right. Yes. And then kind of creating with your partner what your common shared goal is. Yes. What your common shared idea of what this dynamic should look like. Because you're you are totally right, Serena. I think your priority needs to be to be a common front with your partner. Yes. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um and I think that um, the discussion should first start with a value base mm. because once you guys decide what your values are, it gives you guys more uh, um, of a united front because oftentimes we do marry people who we share the same values with. Yeah. So um, when you discuss values, you're dis- discussing really what binds you guys and connects you guys. So you guys are on the same page to begin with. And from there, you guys can set goals because goals could be arbitrary they can you know flex and move around and it's like trying to figure out a way to get to from a to b but first let's kind of figure out what a means in order for our b to be a little bit more successful and we're setting ourselves up not to fail um and and those goals are more achievable when you 
tie it to a value. That makes so much sense. Values, by the way, are very culturally based also. because mm. I, And I started right. talking a lot about how all of these things are passed down. We don't just wake up one morning and be like, this is what I want to do. Right. Um, but it's it's a lot of that is, is culturally based. Um, and so there's a lot of cultural differences yes. that we need to discuss too on how all of these things play out. Absolutely. And Jen and I have brought this up in previous podcasts when we've talked about parents-to-be having these expectations of what kind of parents they're going to be right? based on, you know, research they've studied or articles they've read. And little do they know <laughs> that once the baby comes into this world, they are going to turn into their own parents. Right. And they are going to implement a lot of the things their parents implemented just because that's what's ingrained in your brain. Definitely. So, so then the question becomes... What does that look like when one person from one culture is coupled with another person from another culture and the things that have been ingrained and passed down and modeled for you from your own parents look very different from the things that your partner's parents have instilled in them? I think that that's such a great point because when we look at culture too and we look at those cultural differences, we also need to look at the history of kind of people getting married in the first place and how that's changed. Before, there was a lot of... of familial or status or financial reasons to get married. It was really you're marrying the family versus marrying the person. Right. So so the shift of the in-law relationship and um, of what you're marrying or why you're marrying has totally changed nowadays. Hopefully, mostly people are marrying for love. But that's important because then you will start getting a lot of, of different types of marriages as well, including interfaith or interracial marriages, et cetera, et cetera. And so now there is a, a bigger issue of how to, um, I guess, bridge the differences between cultural norms and expectations with families when the reasons for a marriage are totally different now. Well, my relationship with my partner is it's interfaith. Mm-hmm. And uh, at, the, at the beginning of our relationship, and especially once we had our daughter, it was a lot of teaching my in-laws teaching my in-laws about my culture because that was the culture we were going to be raising my daughter in. Um, so there was a lot of education and a lot of being patient and a lot of just communication around it. So I think that's one of the first points that I want to bring up is that we had already talked about this, but I think one of the biggest pieces that's important is communication and mm-hmm. just having open dialogue around differences. Yes, and recognizing differences and mm-hmm. not just um, shying away from them or... Um, trying to only, um, I guess, focus on similarities because differences are very, very important uh, because that will be a big adjustment to make around those differences. And if you don't talk about it, it's still going to influence you. Absolutely. But in the same vein, I think it's also important to really focus on those similarities because finding those similarities in, you know, whether it be morals or values or like, Uh, how important family is to them, even if they're from different cultures, can definitely help make that connection. But then, Aline, I think you're definitely right that then no matter how many similarities you find, there will always be those differences. And to ignore them would be doing you a disservice in that relationship. Yes, both are equally important. Yeah, absolutely. But I feel like just because you're from the same culture or the same religion or same Mm -hmm. um, ethnicity, it doesn't necessarily mean that you won't have all these other differences agreed just because it's so nuanced i mean education well levels said. come into it mm-hmm. um socioeconomic status can well come said. into geography, it. geography like just where you grew exactly up exactly mm-hmm. where you grew up absolutely yeah. um it's just such a nuanced culture itself yes. is so, so nuanced. nuanced yeah and it could 
I mean, it could even be one family's perception of gender roles versus another family's, and that could have nothing to do with the culture. Exactly. Um, I mean, cultural influences are there, but it's just so nuanced. Oh, and yeah. I think that that's exactly what I think you're both talking about, mm-hmm. that to find the differences and the similarities, whether you share the same, that one, that one major, whether it's the ethnicity or the one difference, the sure. religion is to still take time to discuss all this. Definitely. Right. Well, because I think something that's important to point out is that even if you're from the same or different culture, personality differences come into play. Absolutely. And so you could both be from the same culture, but have completely different personalities from your in-laws or whoever. And it's it, just really nuanced. It's yeah. very nuanced. And it's really important to pay attention to all those layers of the onion, you know, yeah. because really there's so many different things that influence who we are as people and how we mate and then how we also then get along with our mates' uh, family. Right. <laughs> and family. then you have children and then that adds a whole extra layer mm-hmm. of complexity in there. Okay, so we started off talking about how when mother-in-laws or father-in-laws can be over-involved in your family and setting the boundary there. What about the flip side when you feel like your in-laws are almost like the absentee in-laws where they have very rigid boundaries or they don't visit enough or... Or they're far away. Far far Mm. away, yeah. And how does that work into the relationship? Because families where there's many children... Mm-hmm. They need to take a time out, the parents, you know, and if there's no in-laws there to babysit, it's a mild yeah. thing. Where's the village, right? right? Yeah. Where is the village, you know? So- it's equally as important because we are social creatures at the end of the day. Yeah. We do need support and support system is important. Um, obviously, we're talking about the flip side of it when, um, you know, the support isn't helpful or is negative, but there is the other side, like you were talking about, where it's lacking or non-existent. And so either way, uh, a support system is needed. And then it's up to each person to try and build those support system that they want or like and fashion it in the way that they need it. But it is hard when you don't have it, too. And I think so much resentment can come out of that. Yeah. And I can imagine a lot of arguments between couples. Which I think then goes back to the importance of having that conversation with your with your partner. Right. And talking about what the expectations are, what the hopes are, what the goal is, so that you guys can work together as a team to try to get as close to achieving that as you can. And when we're talking about this, it makes me think of just families and family structures. And one of the biggest thoughts that um, keep keeps popping up is like a collectivistic culture versus indiv- individualistic culture. That's a and fantastic I think, point. Yeah, and it, it was just triggered because of we're talking about families being distanced or families being close, differences of, you know, between families and all of that. And and um, it makes me think about collectivistic cultures versus individual individualistic cultures um, as I stumble over my words. <laughs> no, I'm laughing because I keep going back to like pop culture references. And as you're talking, yeah. I can't help but think about my big fat Greek wedding. Yeah. Just the differences that, yeah. between the two families where right. one is a very collectivistic culture and one is mm-hmm. a very... You know, that's a really, really good image to yes. portray the difference yes. between right? the two and what it looks like when those families come together. And also, what do you do if you come from a collectivistic culture, but you live in an individualistic culture? Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of, of mixed um, generations, like for, right. like that maybe could have been born somewhere else, but grew up here, or our first generations and their parents were immigrants. And, um, and I'm specifically talking about American culture being more individualistic culture and maybe other cultures being collectivistic. And what happens to that person who now has to juggle both ideologies and right. and um, and have to has to 
understand and take part in the culture that they're living in, um, but at the same time keep values and traditions of the culture that they're growing up in. You I know? think levels of assimilation. Yes. Going mm-hmm. back to us talking about finding someone in your own culture that right. you might have differences with, mm-hmm. level of assimilation might be Huge. such a big wrench in the relationship. <laughs> yes. Because one, if you are a second, third, fourth generation, let's say both of you are, you might have completely different levels of assimilation. And mm-hmm. that could Definitely. also impact your relationship with your in-laws. Yeah. And um, it's also not to demonize those that have or come from a collectivist culture who really are, um, I, I mean, dependent is a strong word, but in a sense, um, creates that norm of having multiple generations let's say live in a household um and they it's it's not just a norm but it's like um becomes you know their only way of looking at family life you know so it's not to demonize that either and say oh you know it's not healthy or it's codependent or it's never going to work or how are you it's a failure you know, to launch yeah, your right, right. And right. his wife and two children are still living with you exactly yeah. and you know this idea of that you know um somebody who moves out and has their own house and can support their family and has cars and all the stuff as if that's like levels of, of success and how we measure success. But in other cultures, success is measured by how well you keep your family, you know, right, and right. how well you stay together and um, how well you keep your norms and your traditions and your culture within the growing family, you know. So there's so much to look at because now we also might talk about, you know, um, there might be some of uh, our audience members who really are like, well, I live in a multi-generational home and I and I grew up living in a multi-generational home. I loved it. This was that was my, uh, uh, you know, ch- whole childhood, my upbringing. And it uh, means everything to me. And I want to raise my kids that way. And I want to find a partner who will raise right. kids that way. Um, and how important it is because in intergenerational connections also serve as protective uh, factors and values for a good healthy life when obviously those relationships are good (laughs) and helpful and beneficial but for a lot of cultures that is the norm Mm -hmm. see that's well because in my culture that you know a a single girl or a single guy moving out on their own buying their own place having their own cars is still really taboo Mm -hmm. I mean not the financial independence but the fact that the child moved out of the parent's home. It's yes. almost like the parents were unable to provide for the child or mm. the child has, you or there's know... there's a relationship issue Yeah, or, or the child's yeah. uh, engaging in some unethical yeah, behaviors. Devious you know, behavior. Devious behaviors, so they had to move out <laughs> to engage in those behaviors. It's still really taboo, but right. having multiple generations live in the same home is yeah. very much accepted and very okay and very normal. But I could imagine looking at like the you know stereotypical american you know quote unquote american culture mm-hmm. that might be so diagnosable like i can imagine <laughs> you know? yes. I mean, that, that can sound so weird and yeah, right. but mm-hmm. you know just having the open-mindedness to learn about different cultures too i guess well because then i was going to say so what does that mean for that person coming from that kind of culture let's say like your culture um, meeting somebody and becoming romantically involved with somebody who comes from a very individualistic culture mm-hmm. and sees that as so foreign and different from what they've went through and what that would look like for that couple trying to navigate that and then how they navigate their own relationships with in-laws who expect who one said expects that like really close collectivistic kind of relationship whereas the other one may- maybe might not 
It's very complex, Jen. <laughs> is it complex? I think it's complex. You guys, did we determine yeah. that this is a really complex situation? Multi-layered, complex t- multifaceted, yeah. complex, nuanced, all of those delicious words. Yes. It is. It's it's very complicated. And and so my question was going to be, so what does that mean for the children growing up in the situation who have parents who are trying to navigate these in-law relationships and these different dynamics? What does it mean for that those kids you know I think I have really strong um thoughts on this so I'm just gonna jump in on it it, please (laughs) well I think it it could get very toxic if children are purposefully made aware of these nuances or these differences they're going to recognize it Mm -hmm. they're not blind they see it but to have to have um open discussions with the children about it early on I don't think it's appropriate you know you talked about multi or different religions Mm -hmm. marrying right Mm -hmm. if they they're gonna know you know you go to one grandparent's house there's a Christmas tree you go to another grandparent's house and there's a menorah right they're aware of this but to have that initial conversation I think the child has to be way more mature well well, I'm piggybacking off of that my because I completely agree with you I think in order for it to be a successful navigation of this complex situation (laughs) um it needs to be an important discussion it needs to be had in the family but it needs to not happen in front of the kids it can't happen in front of that the parents need to really have an idea of what they want it to look like they need to sit down and discuss boundaries and morals and values and what they want their relationship with with both sets of in-laws to look like because your own parents are somebody else's in-laws when you're in a relationship so figuring out what you want each of those relationships to look like and not bringing the kids into it, not letting the kids be a bargaining chip or a bargaining tool or having them get too involved and wrapped up in what, you know, the conversation looks like. And to have that conversation of, and I keep bringing religion up because I don't I don't know any other solid differences that they might observe, to have that conversation early on with the child, well, they celebrate Christmas or their skin color is this way and then we do it this way and ours it it has this very like us and them kind of feel to it I don't know because I know in our family you know my my husband is he's atheist he he was raised his parents celebrated Christmas and Easter and all that stuff and I'm Jewish and so we don't celebrate any of that and my, while my husband decided he didn't want to convert, mm-hmm. our decision in our family was that we raised our daughter to be Jewish. So our agreement then in this case is we go to grandma and grandpa's house to celebrate Christmas because that is their holiday. Right. And, you know, the Jewish holidays are what we celebrate at home because that's our culture and our family's culture and our our holidays. Um, but we go celebrate with grandma and grandpa because that's what they celebrate. But we're going to embrace and celebrate the things that they celebrate, even if it's not part of our culture and our holiday. So how do how do you navigate that for your children yeah. or the children, you know, the children or listeners have right. to understand and respect the differences because they're so young and mm-hmm. they don't. Right. They don't. I don't know if they comprehend. I think that's perfectly said. That. And that's what I was actually yeah. going to jump into is that. Um, there, there's no black and white in this. And it's so, that's wonderful because all of the gray is what helps be more flexible and, and you can definitely, you know, mold it to whatever your child is then ready and able to understand. And so I think that anytime any sort of, um, 
anything is explained to a child, it obviously needs to be age appropriate. So we just, you know, you kind of understand where your child is developmentally. And every child is different. Doesn't mean that one six-year-old is like another six-year-old. But you understand where your child is developmentally, where they are emotionally, or their emotional intelligence as well. And then you can gear the discussion based on their developmental stage. Very well said. And um, what's really crazy, too, is that a lot of parents um, who, you know, I see will freak out. Like, what do I say? How do I talk about this? And and did I say? And I'll say, you will be surprised on how little information is satisfying for children, you know, because they think that they have to come up with these elaborate explanations or what if this or what if that. And a lot of times I'll say, you know, let the child guide your, you know, discussion because really the child will let you know what they're satisfied with. And a simple one question and one answer might be enough or there might be follow-ups of why or how come and then you yeah. can take it from there. So it's really important to um, know your child, know their their developmental level and then gear the discussion based on their needs. And then that can change. So nothing is set in stone, nothing's permanent. So that's a beautiful part of it too because then it's moldable and it's adaptable. So as your child grows or they have more questions or you know something else comes up, things could be added and things could be further discussed or explained. Um, and so knowing that just because you said one thing, it doesn't mean it's the be all yeah. and all. And, you know, and I do think that discussing it um, as early as possible is important because difference is felt very early Agreed. on. Children in preschool know about difference between right. them and other people. And so it's yeah. really important to talk about it because I think. what you said was really important the idea of like the them versus us kind of thing yeah the less that it's talked about the more that it creates that um I guess feel Mm -hmm. of us versus the outsiders versus insiders the more that it's talked about the more inclusive it is in that child's life and in their thought process and then it continues to grow then with them right and I think that's I think that's something I'm full transparency I'm very Mm -hmm worried about in today's society because there is such a us and them mentality in today's world and I think um just the way you have the conversations Mm -hmm. there's age appropriate ways of having those conversations and the way you have those conversations really needs to demonstrate that we're all wow this conversation really shifted right you know (laughs) the, the way the conversation needs to be had with the kids is that we're all in this together and you know, one person might be doing this and one person might be doing that and one person might be doing that and we can, we can do it all, but it doesn't mean we believe in it all. Like this mm-hmm. is our belief and this is what right. we do. Right. Yeah. Um, I think it's just, it's such a sensitive time in the world right now with mm-hmm. the whole them and us and we yeah. do, you know, I'm so worried. Yeah. And I worrying. think a lot of parents are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah and I'm it's glad. a lot of things well, that come up with families right now. Like I, how do we teach our children to be inclusive and tolerant yet maintain their own ideologies and maintain the family's belief system absolutely Mm -hmm. i'm so glad you brought that up because it is a very um sensitive topic and it's uh, on a lot of people's minds and it's a part of their daily life so it's important that you said that and you talked about it regardless how off topic it seems but (laughs) watch us bring it back around it's totally relevant relevant because the us and them and the what's important and how do we discuss it and you know learning tolerance and learning acceptance learning consideration all applies to the in-law relationship yeah, you know modeling and it goes the behavior yes. <laughs> it's and all of those things are important because it could literally be about us and them when you 
pin yourselves against the, the couple versus the in-laws, right. you know, and then how to integrate the in-laws with the couple and the family. It's very relevant. So And complex. And complex. <laughs> Just having this conversation kind of really made me uncomfortable because it, it, I think it brought a lot of things to mind for me and a lot of images that we've been seeing in media or whatever. And yeah. um, there's such a – it's just such a ugly time and um, – or an uncomfortable time, I should say. Mm-hmm. And to have... A complex time, a would complex you say? A complex time. Mm-hmm. And to have, you know, especially living in Los Angeles, where I don't think I know many couples that are, you know, too identical from the same culture, from the same... You know, we're very mixed in Los Angeles. There's yeah. all kinds yes. of people. And, and to see this and to kind of have young children and raising them to kind of accept everything and be okay with everything I think I'm very sensitive to that and bringing it back to Mm in-laws I do push for like a close relationship for my kids to have with my in-laws or for my kids to have with my family because as different as we are that's how they're going to learn and that's how they're going to learn to navigate different relationships and that's how they're going to they're going to learn to navigate the world because there's no you know two people that are identical so yeah I agree I don't know something I just worry about a lot and it came up in this podcast sorry guys I kind of hijacked this a little bit I appreciate your (laughs) vulnerability and your candor about it because um you're not you know, the only one who thinks about or feels these things. And it's so important to express them because you doing it on the podcast, I think, I mean, to me, it does in the room with you, but also to our listeners who will feel that will, it will definitely strike a chord with many people, I think, who listen. And I think it gives them that power to express some of their uncomfortableness, maybe in the exact topic you were talking about, or maybe in a bunch of other things that are going on with them. Right, right. My hope is that this at least helps create dialogue first in yourself to be able to talk about Mm -hmm. this or think about it within yourself and think about you know what kind of family differences you may be experiencing whether it be with your in-laws your own parents your Mm -hmm. partner whatever and then to be able to create that dialogue externally with whoever it is that you're dealing with it with because I think a lot of people struggle with these issues but then feel stuck and don't know what to do with it or don't think it could ever get better or think that you know they're just stuck in this pattern Mm -hmm. but really it can get better it does get better but it involves work Mm -hmm. just like anything else and so it involves the person not only really taking time to process and think about it on their own but then to also create dialogue within their family within you know whatever social support system they have to be able to create some sort of change to be able to create whatever forward movement looks like for that person and to be open and to acknowledge the differences in family culture not not background culture but the family's Mm -hmm. identity and family's Mm -hmm. um ideology and their faith or their how how they right. raise children, how they right. do certain things. Well, I think one thing we probably should have done at the beginning of this discussion yeah. but is, yeah, is define <laughs> culture. Yeah, I know. I keep and saying I, culture, and I didn't. I don't mean right. like ethnic, or I just meant the family's right. specific culture. Well, because culture, culture yeah. can be yeah. so, so many, many different, different things. things. It's, right. Is it nuanced? Is it, is it complex, <laughs> you guys? But, but just so our listeners know, you know. Culture it, can mean many things. Culture yes. can be, you know, where where you were born, the kind, you know, your religion, your race, your yeah. age, your, you know, generational. Um, it, it could be a bunch of different things. Right. So it, it can even just be the, the values and morals that you have within yeah. your family. Exactly. Yeah. So that last culture you were talking about <laughs> mm-hmm. is, mm-hmm. it's important for both partners to be co- cognizant of that exact culture you were talking about. The yeah. culture mm-hmm. that's passed down through generations in your own personal families. And 
you might not agree with it, but at least understand it. So you, yes. when you are arguing with your partner, you're better informed, is what I say. <laughs> Which is important. Yeah. <laughs> a good and inf- a well-informed argument yes. goes a long way. Exactly. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so true, though. <laughs> you guys, I kind of love where this discussion went. I really did, too. I think it went way heavier it. than where I thought it was going to be. Yeah. I thought we were just yeah. going to rag on our in-laws. But <laughs> here we are talking about the world and all. And raising all responsible means. children and how deep rooted all of this stuff can be so. it really is mm-hmm. definitely it really is well Aline, thank you so much for being here i so appreciate your you know your perspective on all of this and being a part of this dialogue well, thank you, know you what? so much for if having me any of our listeners have any questions for you Aline, where can they reach you oh uh, absolutely um i think the best way would probably be to uh would be to email me. Um, my email address is Dr. Aline Tanelian um, at gmail.com. It's D R A L I N E T A N I E L I A N at gmail.com. And please feel free. Thank you so much. Thank you both so very much for having me. This was great. Thank you. And if you want to email us, you can email us at is it bedtime yet podcast at gmail.com. Uh, If you have any suggestions for future podcast ideas or just random questions you want to ask Dr. Jen or I, you can find us on Instagram at is it bedtime yet podcast with underscores between each word or on Facebook at is it bedtime yet podcast. And for now, this is Dr. Serene and Dr. Jen asking, is it bedtime yet? 